Welcome to Literally Two Cents About Content, a podcast about what it's like to write for as little as two cents per word. I'm Alex. And I'm Elizabeth. Everything that we produced for the content mill was ghostwritten, which essentially means that, you know, we we write it for the company and our our identity is not attached to it in any way. Yeah, I mean, either the, the asset would often have no author listed, it would just be some blog on a company's page, or it would be it would be assigned to like one of their executives as if they had written it themselves. So I, right. I remember I did write something once uh, when I was covering a, a conference in Las Vegas, actually, for a client. Like the person I was traveling with, like the client contact, was the person whose byline was on the was on the article. It's, so, it makes it kind of surreal, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Because you would be on the phone with the people who you are supposedly writing yeah. as. <laughs> um. It's like, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. Like it was because the way it was written and the amount of like the sentence structure and everything was something that the person who was writing it would have never come up with ever and on his own. Like he right. you know, wrote very like uh, brief emails and sometimes they didn't even really make sense. So the idea of him writing like this, you know, hyper literate thousand word blog was kind of, kind of hilarious. But uh, I guess in this day and age, you know, if like he had used like chat GPT or something, then maybe it wouldn't <laughs> be as impressive anymore. Um, that you know, someone could come up with something that sounded plausible. So many people like to ask, what's the best setting for something like cramming in some kind of keyword? And then, uh-huh. and then, and then in this guide, we'll tell you exactly what the best setting for movies is or something, the best surround sound for movies. And now movie. we're yeah. already a hundred words in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then you already got like, uh, there's been some, you know, on the other end of the scale here, the person is maybe working against the word count and they've already, you know, they've already made big progress towards it. And uh, I mean, like for, for the content mill side, like it was just, it was, uh, I mean, the incentives we had to write those types of padded intros was was pretty high because, I mean, it would be be something like we had some enormous amount of words to, like oh, a target yeah. to hit for the day, like a quota, and then if you could just absolutely crush it with some, you know, blog that was, you know, 2,500 words long, like even going over, like whatever the assigned length for it was, then you could bank those extra words, you know, and it's like... Uh, I got really good at like saying the same thing in different ways and doing at least like a hundred to a hundred and fifty words for an intro and a hundred words for the conclusion. And by that point, once you get there, you're halfway done, and then you <laughs> write write four hundred words for the body of the thing. And I, yeah, that's it, uh, it. Was always how many words can I? What's the lowest amount of words I can actually spend trying to talk about this? And it was yes. kind of like avoidance sometimes because it's like, I don't want to really write about private cloud. So what can I stuff into like a generic intro and ending that will make it so that the body is sort of, you know, gone as quick as possible. You know, it's just like, Oh, like, and it was always stuff like the cloud computing industry is worth this many oh billions gosh, yeah. of dollars in 2022. Yeah, according to markets and markets. According, or, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or according to tech target or according to, uh, there's always uh-huh. like a, a pretty small batch of sources. And um, sometimes, I mean, there was also even like a time limit, I remember, on like sources, like we couldn't use sources within that they were X number of years old. We should reconsider yeah. using them. And uh, But there were companies that would put out like, like, reports every year so like the ibm report on cloud computing or healthcare cloud computing was like they they redid it every year so every like april or whenever they put out the article it was always like ah oh, yes good i have a new source now. <laughs> yeah there was there, there was something like that too with um data breaches and like cyber security Mm. And so there'd be like these annual reports, like, you know, the something of a breach. I can't, I, I'm, I'm. It was the Ponemon Institute. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I only remember this because it sounds like Pokemon. Oh, man, yeah. The, the Ponemon <laughs> Institute, which I think was somehow <laughs> affiliated with maybe IBM, coincidentally. Yeah, yeah. And it was every year, it was like the cost of a data breach is now like $8 trillion for a breach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, who are these companies? How are they staying in business if they're being breached? You know, like, how can this possibly be this high? Right. But then, like, right. uh, I guess this was still during an era when, like, cybersecurity fear-mongering was really, um, I guess it worked somehow because, I mean, mm. I guess people just weren't very savvy, but um, I remember there oh, was Oh, it's a, still a thing. There. That's for sure. <laughs> Especially in higher ed. 
There was like a, in like 2013, there was a breach at Target of like payment card data. And uh, this was like, uh, I can't even tell you how many stories were. We milked that for yeah. all. It was worth. milked yep. for years. I mean, I, yep. I think even the day it happened that someone sent out an email, like to the team I was on being like, uh, something like enjoyers. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it was kind of perverse because I mean, it was just immediately apparent that this was going to be a gold mine for just, you know, recycling content. For you content. Could have, you could have some like, you know, two or 300 word section, in every article about cybersecurity that talked about, you know, the fucking target data breach like 800 <laughs> time, you know, but anyway, um, uh, but and, I mean, so, I, I guess <laughs> anyway. I was going to make a segue into, uh, yeah. well, actually into self-publishing. I mean, if you do want to make a segue into that, I mean, uh, one of the ways that I ended up writing in that, that I ended up in that situation, you know, it's like the, you know, the, the freeze frame record scratch, you know, uh, you're probably wondering how I ended up in this. Well, how yeah. I got here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them was that I had a, uh, had a WordPress blog and that I started in like late 2012 and it's still up, but I've, uh, I've taken a lot of the posts down just because they either uh, are outdated or. I'm planning to like uh, do updated versions of them on a newer site, but for a long time I wrote about technology things, and uh, some of it was, I guess you would say, hot take-ish. It would be like you know some news story would come out that day, and I would have like you know the three or four you know main points about such and such you know meant to get the immediate traffic that would come from that. So I think there were things like uh, you know Facebook launches a new launcher for Android. So it used to be that you. You know, when you press the home button on Android, um, like the software home button, because it didn't have a physical home button, you know, it would it would take you back to the screen or it would show you all of your apps or depending on whatever, wherever you were. And then, um, but then there were these alternative launchers that would do different things instead of the mm -hmm. sort of stock system one. And uh, Facebook launched their own version of that. And then um, it was, <laughs> it was not very successful. But then I uh, I wrote a blog that was like, you know, this is not going to succeed. And then, uh, and then I was like, here's three reasons why or something. And then, uh, you know, some of so them you were, were the, you wrote content about content. Great. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot of, yeah, exactly. There was content about content, like meta content. And then, uh, so, you know, I, I think I did share this blog when I like interviewed for the job and apparently the hiring manager thought that it showed I had a lot of knowledge of the field. So, Nice. Uh, you know, not that I, I probably would have gotten it anyway without that, but that was sort of a, uh, I mean, that was sort of a springboard into that job, but yeah, yeah. that, that WordPress. Yeah. I mean, was, that, that dovetails yeah. pretty closely to what we were doing. Yeah. It was pretty close in, in both, um, uh, well, as they say in both form and content. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, at, you know, hashtag content, but, uh, you know, WordPress, I, I don't know if that was what, well, you know, WordPress was created in. I, I want to say, yeah, it was, I think this year was the 20th anniversary of WordPress. So right. WordPress is actually multiple things, uh, which I think is confusing to some people because there's WordPress, the project, which is like an open source project for making a CMS that anybody can can install and use to you know, publish posts to the, to the internet. But then there's also WordPress.com, which is a company that provides like hosting so mm -hmm. uh you could so i think wordpress.org is the site for the project wordpress.com is the company and there's a company called automatic which is the main contributor to the wordpress project and it also owns wordpress.com so um they so i mean there is quite a bit of difference between these two approaches because if you do wordpress.org you know you or in most cases somebody you're going to hire is going to set up all the technical infrastructure to make this blogging you know, CMS work. And then mm -hmm. if you do WordPress.com, WordPress itself, or I should say automatic, is doing that for you. And so it's a little bit simplified, although at the same time you have less um, you have less control and they upsell you like crazy on like basically anything like uh, different features. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, domain they, names. They have and, domains. And uh, yeah, various plugins and you have options like that so that so i mean wordpress.com is very much a business and wordpress.org is more of like you know the the open source approach but um i mean they both have sort of the same i mean they both work and look the same kind of in practice so i mean you can customize it a lot but you know the 
the technology you know it overlaps and then automatic itself is uh as a company it also owns a quite quite a few other uh brands and companies so it, for example it owns tumblr and mm. uh it owns gravatar and there's quite a few others here and um but which explains why wordpress the the blogging platform uh integrates so well with those things right so yeah it, it wordpress integrates. is also where my blog lives so yeah it it um, you can blaze your posts on WordPress mm-hmm, too, right? Mm-hmm. Not just Tumblr. Um, right. So yeah, yeah. They also own um, they own Day One, which is a diary software. They own mm. um, Jetpack, which is like a oh yep. uh, yeah yeah uh, WordPress plugin. Uh, a Kismet, which is a spam filter. Pocket Cast, which is a podcast client. So a simple note it's a note taking software so they have quite a few things under their under their umbrella and um i mean i think at this time also wordpress.com did let you uh as long as you had a custom domain on your blog you could run what it called word ads so you could run ads on your posts and you could get a share of the revenue that went to that although they would never pay it out unless you reached a hundred dollars and, oh uh, yeah, I'm still on that platform. I'm going <laughs> to tell you right now, I have earned a dollar sixty-seven. <laughs> it will. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's funny it's... because um, so back <laughs> when I was at my WordPress peak, which is probably like 2012 to 2014, the ad rates were actually not too bad because I mean I wasn't doing like a bonkers amount of traffic or anything, but I, I would still get something like eleven or twelve dollars a month. Um, nice. uh, in ad revenue and this was just from a few thousand views and uh, once you got to 100 they would pay it out and then um, it was so that kind of pays for itself in, in, in the long run right because you have to be at a certain tier level to to get plugged into that ad yeah thing. I mean back then it was a little I think the bar was pretty low back then relatively speaking I think all you needed was like a well you had to have a custom domain you couldn't have like the you know, x.wordpress.com address. You had right. to have something like, I think mine was screengrab.me, which uh, huh. I yeah. I didn't change at some point to screengrab.blog because it was quite a bit cheaper. But, and then they also had to review your site to make sure it had like the content they were comfortable running ads alongside. Right. So, right. Uh, but then at some point in 2014, the, the ad rates just really fell off a cliff. And I think this was somewhere... It coincided with Facebook, uh, so-called pivot to video, where I guess people were <laughs> were pouring all of their resources into into video production, and so there was no interest in reading text anymore. And uh, most of this, however, was scam. Um, like the numbers that Facebook made up to show publishers that somehow, yeah, there's all this money to be made if you could just you know, like ditch all of your blog articles and show videos instead. And it was basically all made up. And uh, so lots of sites got decimated, you know, laying off writers and so on and trying to you know, ramp up their video production. I think this was an attempt to compete with YouTube, and um, which I don't know if it really succeed. I mean, Facebook has such massive scales. So I don't know what, you know, their metric for success is very different than it is for, for other companies. But, um, you know, I have to say, I don't, I don't think it really worked out for anyone because, you know, a lot of sites you know, lost all of this, um, all of these talented staff. And I think like, it was like mm-hmm. one of the Fox sites, like their sports sites, I think, uh, deleted a lot of their, um, blogs and just went with like an all video approach at one point, And it was just horrible. Like you wanted to find out anything about, you know, if you wanted to go to Fox sports to find out something about sports, you had to, all you could do is like watch videos about it. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but anyway, this, I remember, yeah, yeah I, I remember when this was big and I, I prefer to read over watch. Oh yeah, uh, I, I would video, much rather so. um, even if I could just read a transcript of the video. I mean, like, unless oh yeah, it, yeah, I would much rather do that than watch a video, and, and it's much quicker a lot of times too, uh, because the video can take a lot of bandwidth too, especially if you're not like at home and you have a mobile connection. I mean, back then, especially mm-hmm. you know, the um, LTE was still kind of new back then, and right. 5G didn't didn't even exist. So right, yeah, it was. It was, and it, uh, but so I mean, it, I don't know if it really, like I said, it was kind of a lose lose because 
I think YouTube still gets more traffic, video traffic than Facebook does. And of course, TikTok came along two years later and it like, stole Facebook's thunder you know, on video completely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it it was kind of a, the, the pivot, the so-called pivot to video. It, it became a joke you know, to even mention it. You know, something like a, someone would do, like, you know, if they left the job or they made any sort of career change, they would say they were pivoting to video. And uh, everybody knew what they meant. You know, it was like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, right. whatever. Um, like, well, not literally, well, and there was yeah. that whole, the whole, like, problem with that, too, is that Facebook was artificially inflating. Yeah, Facebook is a really. Views on videos, so. Facebook's a really horrible company. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. it's not really up for debate. I mean, they've, their platform has abetted, you know, like, a literal genocide in, like, Myanmar. And yeah. beyond that, they've all, you know, they're very ethically challenged even even at you know other levels like with lying to their clients and and making them do this thing with video which was a waste of everybody's time but um so it's been kind of weird to see recently that people have sort of made them into like you know like you know the I don't know with well of course with elon musk having the hero of the, like you know like oh, woke, yeah. woke mark zuckerberg you know it's like you know, i mean it's, um, i mean it, it, the idea that like facebook or instagram or threads you know it's kind of like the well, I don't know, it's kind of like a, a Russian nesting doll, of course, because Instagram <laughs> is a brand of Meta, and then Threads is like a brand of Instagram. Of Instagram, <laughs> um, but, yeah. But, I mean, it's kind of been funny to see people act like it's some kind of a... I mean, this is really one of the things that's really gotten me about the whole post-Twitter landscape, is uh, a lot of times people the people who left Twitter were often... I mean, they often would cite pretty good reasons for having done so. Like, they would say, well, the, the site is run by a right-wing maniac, it's, you know, it's full of, like, you know, disreputable content. It's not very, you know, I get lots of abuse on there. But then yeah, sure. these things are also true of, like, a lot of other platforms. In fact, they may even be more true, uh, depending on the platform you're talking about. So I think it was, uh, we might have mentioned on the show before, Blue Sky, the which is was actually a, a Twitter side project for a while. And mm-hmm. it it is meant to sort of be a... It was meant as a decentralized Twitter, so it would have its own, you know, server to start out with, like bluesky.app or bluesky.com or whatever the the top-level domain they're using. And then it would have these other, you could set up other sites that would then connect to the server, but then they could all communicate with each other because they're using the same protocol. So we discussed sort of the similar setup in Mastodon. Because I mean, right. if this all sounds familiar, it's because it's basically a, an exact clone of, of how Mastodon works. but right. It hasn't actually been implemented because right now everybody's still on the same server. You know, it's often known to be have a lot of abuse towards its black users in particular. And the irony of this is that a lot of people who went to Blue Sky said they did so because they thought Mastodon was not good at this. Um, and so, if anything, Blue Sky has been quite a bit worse. The general public kind of forgets <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah. about about Facebook and about how, or just in general, like they they forget. Period. And yeah, so if, it, you know, Facebook hasn't had a recent blunder in the news, then, you know, they swoop in and they're like, look, we have this cool thing. It's called Threads. It's not Twitter. Everybody's like, oh, cool. That's the new thing now. Yeah. And they become this, like, you know, knight in shining armor <laughs> that are, like, on the hill to depose Elon in his little <laughs> castle, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, I, I don't know. It, it's it's really fascinating. And, and Blue Sky is you know just i mean if we're gonna follow this knight in shining armor metaphor to the inevitable end of it right like (laughs) blue sky is kind of like the the knight in the other castle who is like look come hang out with me i'm also pretty good and chill (laughs) like (laughs) yeah because i'm not the other guy yeah i mean they went through some phases where you know first when elon took took over twitter everybody was moving to mastodon and then yeah, after a couple of months, it was like everybody was moving to Blue Sky, which didn't quite work out quite as well because you have to have an invite to join Blue Sky. You can't just sign up. You have to have like an invite code. Oh, so, that was the other thing yeah. is that they create an artificial scarcity. scarcity. Yeah. yeah. And then um, and then Blue Sky, after Threads launched, you didn't hear quite as much about it. Like even, like there's this blogger, uh, his site is called Daring Fireball, and the blogger's name is John Gruber. He's been blogging about Apple for like 20 years now, but mm-hmm. he was predicting that Blue Sky was going to break out into mainstream popularity while 
Mastodon would just be a sort of niche thing, and now that Threads has come along, he barely talks about Blue Sky at all. And uh, meanwhile, like you know, Blue Sky still only has I think six figures number of total users, um, and that's mm-hmm. I mean, so the actual active number of users is even less than that. So, whereas Mastodon I think has maybe like fifteen million total accounts, although you know. Like I said, not every one of those is active, and many of those are on servers that you know are unreachable by other servers, so they're just like basically islands. But it's... I was reading somewhere that Threads lost half of its users last week. Like there were however many millions of people signed up immediately, and then now like the number of active users has absolutely plummeted because I mean they realize that it's just it's just like. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's 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 the same shit, different day, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's uh, I, you know, there was some actually that blogger I just mentioned. He he blogged about this, I think today about how it wasn't really as bad as everybody said it was because you know actually they beat their expectations, but then we don't really, of course, we don't know exactly what their expect Meta's expectations were, like how many numbers, how, what number of users were they expecting to keep, and versus how many did they actually keep. And, I mean, you see this type of attrition with, you know, lots of platforms. In fact, uh, I thought it was funny because, you know, this blogger I'm talking about who was saying that actually it was not a big deal that Threads lost all these users, he was actually mm-hmm. on the same train that was like when, when Mastodon had sort of a drop-off in average users after the spike that happened after Elon Musk took over Twitter. He was like, well, this means Mastodon is doomed to irrelevancy. <laughs> so, uh, <sighs> I mean... Of course, Threads is already quite a bit bigger than Mastodon. I mean, that was always inevitable. I mean, in fact, it's it's way bigger than Mastodon and Blue Sky combined. Well, because they, they've but, got the built-in user base. Right? Yeah, of, they do have the built-in of, user yeah. base. And I think, you know, I did write a blog about this on my on my new site, which I'll I'll talk about in just a second. But my, my theory was that, uh, you know, post-2016, it's basically impossible to build a new social network completely from scratch. And mm-hmm. there's quite a few reasons for this. I think the main ones are, well, first, it's a regulatory hurdle. So you have the you have the problem of, like, Threads did not even launch in the EU because mm-hmm. there were so many possible complications, liabilities that Meta would have faced with launching a you know, social network that collects data indiscriminately, you know, in with the With the EU. GDPR, right? Yeah, and so the EU has much tighter regulations on this than the U.S. does. So there's the regulatory problem, and then there's the the uh, network effect problem. So I think if you, it's been notable that Twitter has not really lost that much traffic or users, even despite everything. Uh, right. And it's just because everybody that they know, it, that the you know the power users of Twitter know, are already there, and trying to get them to, to go somewhere else, you know, in a, in one big coordinated move is just not practical. So you have to overcome these massive network effects, like not only of Twitter, but you know. Of course, Facebook has a pretty strong network effect, um, and uh, and TikTok as well. So you ha- you have to actually pull people away from what they're already doing to try your new thing. And right, then, and I think yeah. the the early success of Threads wasn't them. They weren't pulling anyone away from Twitter. Twitter was just hemorrhaging because of you know Elon Musk doing whatever the new flavor of garbage is that day. Mm-hmm. But I think when they launched Threads, it was because he was, was it the, was it the blue check mark thing or was it, it yeah, was something so, else. I mean, there one was of the, uh, one of the many egregious things that he, The blue check mark thing decided. became, uh, almost became a joke because it used to be the blue check mark was something that Twitter itself determined or they handed out to determine that a certain prominent account was exactly who it said it was. So like if right. this was actually inspired by a, um, I may have mentioned this before, but it was actually inspired by a uh, baseball manager, Tony La Russa, who uh, was a manager of the, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago White Sox and a couple of other teams over time. But in 2009, someone was running a, a Twitter account that was called Tony La Russa. And it was like, you know, just uh, it wasn't him at all. It was somebody posting things like, uh, you know, one dead pitcher and two wins. I'd call that a, a good weekend or something. Like uh-huh. a, I mean, like a. In Chicago, I don't think I knew this. Like it was, and I think the person got sued or something, or Twitter got sued, and then from then on, they they made it so that anybody who was claiming to be like a major public figure had to either have a blue check mark or they had to have something on their account, like you know, parody or something to indicate that it was not really them. Uh, right. So 
But then when Elon took over, what happened was that you can just buy a blue check mark for eight dollars, and if you pay eight dollars a month, you know, you had a blue check right next to your name. It didn't matter who you were. Uh, there's even I think when this first launched, somebody pretended to be Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company, yeah. and then they said something like insulin is now free, and like yeah. the stock price dropped pretty quickly before you know that account was closed. So uh, and this this subscription. It used to be a program called Twitter Blue. I think it might still be called that, but the original Twitter Blue was a way that you could pay a little bit extra and you would get extra features um, that you wouldn't get on the free tier. Like you, you could uh, edit your posts. You could uh, get like an assortment of, of news articles, like an automatically generated feed of like the top news articles that were shared by your feed or something, by your timeline. Uh, so it's actually it was somewhat useful, and but now like it, you know if you subscribe to it, you know the only people who do that now are like right wing maniacs for the most yeah. part. So uh, and then you they also get like prominence in replies. So if someone replies to a tweet, if they have a blue check, their their reply goes above anybody who doesn't have one. So uh, you know a lot of times you'll see some big tweet, and then uh, all the top replies to it will just be like complete lunatics who are you know. <laughs> have like <laughs> 10 followers but they have a blue check mark you know but they so, have a blue check mark, yeah, right so um anyway so that was but um it uh so i did but block. so yeah so yeah threads but, threads doesn't um well you were you were saying the thing about how they have to pull users to them well they don't they don't really pull users to them they're just kind of uh they're holding a bucket under under twitter yeah. and as people jump ship they're kind of scooping them up, right? Yeah, I mean, Twitter has kind of created some, that. I think there's some yeah. of that, but I think also the the more important thing for Threads is that they were able to just convert a lot of the Instagram user base automatically. Oh yeah, hundred so, uh, percent, because it's easy. Yeah, we you know we talked when we talked about Mastodon, we talked about the learning curve being so yeah. steep, mm-hmm. and like if I hadn't actually wanted an, a Mastodon account, like it's really hard to just like. figure out what i'm doing right Right. but with threads it's like i already have an instagram account i could just yeah yeah that was what i was in my blog i I had sort of said that that was really the only reason it worked was because it just built upon an existing infrastructure because if not you know you would have to not only you know overcome those network effects and you would have to overcome regulatory scrutiny but you would also have to overcome like high interest rates so like high interest rates make it so you know it's harder to get the funding you need to like uh build out data center infrastructure to use yep. a, a famous content keyword there. Um, <laughs> and then you also have to do moderation, which is something that obviously blue sky and mass have, have struggled with a bit. Uh, so then, I mean, you know, cause there's all kinds of stuff that gets submitted to social media feeds that you never, ever see because some moderator catches it you know, automatically on the other end or manually. And so it mm-hmm. never actually gets seen by the public, but like, I mean, we're talking like you know, graphic things and, and you know, things that may be illegal in certain jurisdictions. So you know, the fact that um the fact that Threads was somewhat of a success at least initially, it it's totally just owing to the fact that it's basically just another way of interacting with your Instagram graph, so to say. Mm-hmm. So um but you know it's uh so I had uh I had published this post on uh I recently you know, as in a couple of months ago, I began blogging more from this platform called micro.blog, which, um, you know, it's a, it's, it builds itself as a micro, as its you know, name suggests, it is a micro blogging service. So you can write very short posts, um, under I think 300 characters is, is the, is the limit on a short post. If you go beyond 300 characters, you, uh, you can enter a title and make it into like a full fledged blog post. So it kind of combines elements of of uh, of Twitter and of like WordPress and other blogging software, but it's a little, it's you know, it's kind of its own unique thing because so like if you open the micro blog app or one of the clients like third party clients that can also access you know the same data, you'll see a feed of posts uh, from yourself and anyone you might follow who's also on there and there's also a discover fee of like things that you that has been hand curated by one of their moderators uh, to show you like interesting things that are going on you know going on across this across the platform um so what happens is is, i mean it's it's kind of a social network but um so you know when you go and sign up for it you know you you get a blog you get a domain from them 
and then you can map your own custom domain to it. Um, but you know what you're getting is is basically a blog. So um, you can publish this blog, and then those posts go. You know the short posts actually go into a feed. You know with their full text. So they're 300 characters or less, you know, in the timeline they show up as like, here's the whole post, you know, Hey, had a, had a tomato sandwich for lunch today. Pretty good. Here's a picture or something like that. And if they're longer than that, they show up as just like the title and the link. So then like the link would go to your blog. Um, you, know, you can follow people on there and, you know, but there's no, there's no follower counts. So if you go to somebody that kind of, it doesn't show you how many people they're following or how many followers they have. Uh, you can't favorite anything. You can only bookmark it, which is private to you, so nobody knows that it's been marked as such. Uh, you can reply to to posts. Uh, so, like, if you go to my site, there's a there's a tab called replies, which shows like all the replies I've sent to other other people. So you you get like a handle as well. So um, you know, like at you know your name, and then the uh, the site itself also makes it very easy to cross post. So you can connect like your Mastodon, your Tumblr, your Blue Sky. You see, I think Twitter, but they don't do it anymore because the API cost is so high. Um, Medium and so on. So you know you can post once on micro.blog and have it go like a lot of different places. So like actually on on Mastodon, if you post the site, if you post a um, a short post on micro.blog and you've connected your Mastodon, it shows up on there. Basically, as a native Mastodon post, the only indicator that it's not, you know, wasn't made a Mastodon itself might be like if if someone has turned on the a setting that shows you like the source of each post, like you know via Mastodon for Android or via uh, Ivory for iOS or something like that. So it would say via Micro Blog, but like hmm. you can post something short, and it shows up a Mastodon. It basically looks like it was just a regular Mastodon post. So Micro Blog does support ActivityPub, which is the same protocol that you know, underpins. Mastodon, and when you sign up for micro.blog, you do actually get a an automatic Mastodon account that just shows your different posts that someone can follow on Mastodon. So, I, um, like, I have one there, but I don't think anybody's ever followed it. I don't really use it, but it just automatically shares all of my, like a bot, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I found this platform kind of interesting for, you know, for self-publishing for you know, several reasons. I mean, the integrations are, are good, and then um, you can write... Um, you can write everything in Markdown, which is like a a uh, a markup language. It was actually invented by the blogger I mentioned earlier, John Gruber, uh, Daring Powerball. Okay. So it's uh, you know the way Markdown works is it you mark up plain text, uh, and it look it's meant to look good even on its own. So like I think you you do italics with an underscore on each side of the word. You do bold with a double asterisk on each side. And then mm-hmm. uh, you can do like Discord uses Markdown. Like, yeah, I mean it, it is yeah. very very common, and so you can use it in in plain form, or if you send it to a site that has a Markdown that supports Markdown, it can convert all of that to H to corresponding HTML, and that's what Micro.blog does. And, you know, if you if you write something in Markdown, it renders on Micro.blog as HTML. So like if you do the the, the underscore on each side, it when you publish it, it shows up as italics and so on. Um, so like you can do that within the micro.blog app, but the way I do it is I write a lot of stuff in this notes app called, uh, tot, T-O-T, and basically I write it all in Markdown because tot has support for that too. Like if you use the bold key or the italics key in the app, it automatically applies Markdown. You can also you know, do it manually with like a, uh, an unordered list with like the asterisks or an ordered list with numbers and so on. And then I have an iOS shortcut that I wrote where it, it takes all that text and it sends it to uh, sends it to my site, and then when it comes out there, it is perfectly rendered as HTML. So um, it's uh, like so like if you see some long posts in there, that probably started on my phone is like just some plain text with Markdown. So and then it comes out with like footnotes and you know block quotes and everything. So you um, know it's funny because it's funny listening to you talk about this because the way that you write your blogs is the opposite way that I write my blogs. <laughs> Because yeah. I can't, I, I personally can't imagine writing a blog on my phone. I think I would die first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, but it, it's, so it's just interesting to think about like how, yeah. how different people interact with the technology in different ways. Like usually my blog posts start out like as handwritten on my tablet that I have, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like the yeah. literal opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. I just found it was like a very low friction way to write. Cause I'd have an idea. And, and instead of like having to 
sort of switch contexts and go to my computer. Drag up computer. your computer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just like, you know, hey, I've got this Notes app that it was pretty... Well, I mean, when I first got this app, I was sort of like, well, it's a Notes app. Like, how can it possibly be worth 20 bucks? Especially since, you know, there's a Notes app built into iOS already. But, you know, it, it has a lot of options, like with the, the Markdown support, and it also has, like, very deep integration with shortcuts. So you can you can use a shortcut to, like, get the contents of uh, different dots so like you get eight dot i think it's like there's seven or eight dots and like you know, each dot is like a, a section of the app basically and so like i, I use mm-hmm. one section for long form one section for short form and then i use another section for like you know just miscellaneous like lists of things i need to do and then like one dot is like passages i found from books that i think are memorable or something so it's a pretty neat design but um yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds really useful. Yeah, but it, it's sort of like, uh, yeah, I was like, well, if I ever like wrote some kind of, you know, book or something, like it'd probably be something that I'd start on my phone just because the idea is right there. And like, I, I do have actually one dot that where I've got like a whole pass, like a really long passage that I had originally published as a WordPress blog, but then I, I took it down because I wasn't quite happy with it yet. And then I, uh, I've been working on it, but like it's still in there. It's like, five or six thousand words so uh, but yeah so i mean but that's not you know book length by any means but you know it's still still got quite a bit of material in there but um yeah i mean you know you know it's funny because like the the app that i i use um a novel writing software oh yeah i was actually to... thinking this was a perfect pivot to like talk about your book writing process because we've we've now learned that you know i write everything on my phone so uh, <laughs> we, can, we can get it under perspective here <laughs> yeah no it's interesting because like I, so i use this app called why writer mm-hmm. um and it's an open it's not open source it's a it's a like a personal project by a the a, a science fiction fantasy writer called simon haynes um and he basically it's like uh if you've used scrivener for the mac it's just like it's a novel writing software mm-hmm. um but it is free um and you know people uh, uh there's like a pretty robust like online uh forum where people ask for help and and uh talk to simon himself and you know he has basically coded this on his own time um anyway they have i i use the desktop version Mm -hmm. because again as you were saying you know like you write on your phone i write on my desktop but um there is an ios version of it and i've been thinking about downloading (laughs) oh that's that's interesting because um so tot the app that i use you know to write on my phone and which i've built all these shortcuts for it has a mac client as well and uh, they sync with icloud so you know it's perfectly in sync all the time uh, you know, I do sometimes. I will write on on the Mac version if I if I'm just using my computer for some other reason, and um, I mean I, I think it's useful to have in a way because I mean I can still type faster on a Mac keyboard than I can on my phone. Even if you know I do prefer writing on the phone, just because a lot of times I'll have an idea and I won't be near my computer, and it's just easier right. to start writing it right there. Um, but yeah, I think that and, and sort of the inverse of how a lot of apps work because the Mac version is actually free. <laughs> Uh, you don't have to even pay for it. You don't have to have any sort of license or anything. But then the the iOS client is twenty dollars. So oh because wow. uh, usually you'd expect the Mac version to be much more expensive. Because in in the past, you, know, you that used to be the case that like developers would you know have Mac software that was just incredibly you know by normal people's standards was quite expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. And then iOS software would be quite cheap or free as as the case is. But um, yeah, it's I, like that for this Y Writer app yeah. too. The the desktop, the Word, sorry, the Microsoft um, Windows version is free, but the Android app and the iOS app are both five dollars. Five dollars. Um, yeah, you know. it's um, probably just overhead, you know, of having to list it on the the marketplace itself, et cetera. Right. I, I'm always amazed that people can can sell anything for free uh, for some reason oh, because yeah. I mean the amount of effort that it would make it would take to make something like uh like even like taught which seems so simple but it has so many capabilities under the hood like i mean the amount of time that it must have taken to, to make it and the craftsmanship is you know really exceptional too like it has each dot has its own color scheme um but mm-hmm. anyway I, I another app i i had used um on the mac was called mars edit and uh, that's an old really old school mac app the person who made it is a former apple employee actually and uh it it's um 
what you can do with it is you can connect all of your blogs to it. So you can connect your WordPress, your Tumblr, um, your micro.blog. Uh, in fact, I think the, the founder of micro.blog and the creator of of Mars Editor are, you know, are friends and they've done some podcasts together. So the, the integration there is quite tight. Um, so you can write everything in Markdown on Mars Edit. It'll, it'll, it'll highlight your syntax as you go too. So you know, that like, hey, this Markdown is valid. I didn't leave something out or, you know, put an extra space or something. And then you can just nice. publish it all directly from there. You don't have to ever touch the web interface. Nice. Um, which, you know, I think some people would think that was weird because I think most people, you know, a lot of, especially, you know, a certain, I guess that they're maybe under 30. They probably think it's weird that there's anything to do in a desktop other than like use a web browser. Um, so, I mean, but I don't know. I never, writing in a web browser always felt weird to me. Like, uh, I think that was one of the things that go along with the sort of political dimensions drove me away from Substack because Substack doesn't have an API. So there's no way to like write in another app and have that app send it to Substack the way that you can with micro.blog or WordPress where you can write something on, you know, either a desktop, you know, app like Mars edit, which is quite, which is literally purpose built to be a, a desktop blogging software or something that maybe wasn't meant to be blogging software like taught, but can nevertheless be made into such, you know, via, you know, shortcuts. So it's, but you know, the like editor in the web, it, it was fine, but I don't know the idea and you know, the browser would often say it was, it was using a lot of memory or something. So, uh, you know, I've, I felt like, I don't know. It was yeah, one of the reasons I, I sort of got away from Substack. I've all, I've, so I am, in the habit, I guess I'll, you know, when I write a blog post, I generally start out on my tablet, like just handwriting notes. Um, but I do find myself once I, once I'm out of those notes, I put them into WordPress and I do find myself blogging directly and writing directly from the web interface, which I think is probably to my detriment. Um, I mean, because every... oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, it's just like I mean, and it's something I learned back when we were writing at the content mill because um, the the dangers, kind of, you know, of writing directly within the web client are that you know you it doesn't save and it reloads and then you don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, there was a, a joke many years ago where like i don't know if you're familiar with those those non or those three by three grids like you know from D D was like chaotic good chaotic evil oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so i mean uh, i'm sure you are because i mean that's like that's your jam but um it's yeah. uh it's like it was specifically about writing and uh i think i think writing writing directly in the cms was like chaotic evil and yes. then uh, <laughs> writing in microsoft word was like chaotic neutral and then um I can't oh man! Or what lawful good was, but um, oh, I mean, I yeah. what are the Google terms that I can find this meme? I that's that yeah, but it used to be absolutely. like you know, it would just have a grid, and then under each one it would have some term, and then but someone had done it for like you know, you know, writing things for the web, and it's true though. Like the CMS we had at the content mill was uh, it was something custom built by the the company, which was uh, I mean that's pretty bad news because it means that any sort of expertise you built with that tool was basically non-transferable. So it was horrible. You'd be like, oh, I'm, it, a, I'm an it, expert in like, in, you know, Archimedes. I'm just making up a name. That's not the real name of the tool. And they'd be like, what the hell is Archimedes? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, then, uh, and it would be like, uh, but it, it had all kinds of, like, it, it didn't support any keyboard shortcuts of any kind. So you couldn't do like uh command k or command you had to insert special character every time you wanted to put in an m dash i i started like just copying my m dashes oh dear yeah this actually came up at at my job recently was uh you know like uh how to create m dashes and uh yeah you know and on mac os it's quite trivial to make an m dash and all you have to do is do shift option minus and that's an m dash if you leave mm-hmm. off the shift, it's it's an in dash, so that's also convenient. But then on Windows, it's just like it's just like a you know a world of hurt for some reason, a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. And so like if you have a if you have a numeric keypad, you can do like an alt code for it, like alt zero one five zero. Um, and then if you don't, you can actually use the Windows key plus period, which brings up the emoji menu, and then you can pick one from there. But I think you have to actually click a different tab when you because it's not the default tab that shows. But uh, yeah, I mean, with with the self-publishing software that 
or the CMS that we used the content mill, it was, uh, I mean, it was, you were really taking your life into your own hands if you wrote directly <laughs> in there. I mean, mm-hmm. it would be like, if it, if anything went wrong, uh, even if it seemed like nothing was going wrong, click save and you're like, oh yeah, it's saving. Then it re- the screen reloads and is blank and, uh, yep. there's no way to get it back. And it was, there, there it goes in the ether. And it was always such a, like, it was always like an 800 word post that you've been working on for four hours <laughs> and you're supposed to, you know, like that's, that's your bread for the day. Right. Right. Like, and, then, and you just wasted half of your work day. And it was always such a, just a, like your, your stomach just sinks into your feet. Like, ugh, <laughs> yeah, that was I mean, half I, of my day. Eventually I just wrote everything in Google docs. I didn't even, oh, use yeah, Microsoft the, Word. I, I learned that yeah. very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So Google docs is fine. I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't, I don't use it anymore just because like I said, I don't, I usually try not to write in the browser just because for me it doesn't work. But you know, for some people I think it's probably, yeah, they're probably perfectly fine writing in the browser. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think with, uh, it's, um, this micro.blog is a little bit, we mentioned CMS as a, you know, that's short for content management system. So micro.blog is a lot simpler than that. It doesn't have a content management system. So basically what it's doing is it's ta- every blog post is a, is a text file, uh, you know, a markdown text file. So you can, you know, have those files with you anywhere. You can, you know, download them and, and keep them somewhere. And then if you ever move somewhere else, you could just re-upload those files and you would have all the posts. Cause, because um, it uses something called Hugo, which is a static site generator, uh, to make a web page out of those text files. So mm-hmm. there's no uh, there's no CMS, and there's no um, it's not a dynamic you know website of any kind. It's, it's what's called a static site. So it's a little more streamlined. It's quite fast, um, but um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a far cry from our custom uh, content mill CMS. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> oh well. So to segue back to our segue, yeah, uh, we're gonna shoehorn this segue in here, if you know, if I can help it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we 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 started talking about like kind of what we what kind of tools that we're using to self publish and and what kind of um, blog kind of software that we're using and and software that we're using to 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 write right. And I think, you know, I started thinking about this in terms of like um, the the projects that I do, right? So like I I have this this Y writing software. It's called Y Writer. Yeah. It's the letter Y Writer. Um, and I I generally use that to draft all of my novels. Um, and the the cool thing, if you can if you will allow me to just do a quick ad for Y writer, because <laughs> yeah. I've been using it since like, I don't know, I think t- 2010 is probably when oh, I started yeah. using it. Um, it is the most robust organization tool that you could ever like imagine if you're writing a novel. So like I generally, um, the, the novel that I published earlier this year, and I, I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but um is a, a high fantasy novel, right? Um, and the one that I'm working on now, also high fantasy. Um, and so with that comes a lot of world building and, you know, you need to keep track of a lot of different characters, a lot of different mm-hmm. uh, locations, items, like l- just lots of stuff. And the way that Y Writer is organized is you can create a chapter um, and within that chapter, you can create different scenes, right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily need to be, um, like, the each scene doesn't need to be uh, self-contained, right? Yeah. Like, you can, it, it can kind of bleed into each other. But um, you can organize scenes by, like, theme, organize them by location. Um, and it also has a place where you can um, put in different locations right mm-hmm. so like i have a lot of different fantasy-esque cities and towns and stuff right and you 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 write something and then you uh, instead of immediately forgetting about it um you put it into this little location tracker and you say okay my characters were here when they did this um and the city looks like this blah 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 
Um, and it makes it kind of uh, it nice. And you can kind of tag different chapters with those locations. And you can tag uh, chapters with different characters. You can create bi biographies for your characters and kind of put those in there. Um, and so it makes organizing your work really easy. Yeah. Um, if you, I mean, it's, it's like anything else, right? It's just how you use it. Like all the tools are there. It's just how you interact with it. Right. Um, so I find that really fun. I, it doesn't, I don't think it has any sort of published to the internet uh, yeah. capabilities, but there are like, you can export it as text. You can export it as, um, an ebook also, yeah. um, which I, I have not, uh, I have not played around with exporting to ebook yet. Hmm. I think I might with this next project that I do. Cause, um, as I mentioned, I self-published my novel earlier this year. Um, and I did, I used the, the Amazon tools for that. Yeah. Um, but the uh so there are different ways to like so what amazon tools um did you use like how does that work so essentially amazon makes it both easy and difficult right <laughs> of course um the uh so let me let me back up here so i come from a uh kind of a traditional uh, publishing like education, mm -hmm. I guess, from an education standpoint. Um, I went to graduate school for creative writing. Um, and there was always this like general vibe that self-publishing was taboo. Right. Um, it like, if you self-publish your work, that means that it wasn't good enough to get, uh, to get published traditionally. And I came to the conclusion last year um, that I I think that's bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I think that yeah. kind of. I, I think it, I think you're right. I, I would agree with that. I mean, I uh, I think you know. I mean, the idea that just because it's not gated, you know, by the publishing process means that it's somehow lower quality. I, I think that's right. a dubious assumption, well, and of course. You know, uh, this is, of course, a major outlier case, but I, I just thought of it because of the fact that, you know, we're talking about Amazon, the um, the Apple TV Plus original series Silo um, hmm. is actually based on someone's self-published uh, Amazon book. So, uh, nice. the, yeah, yeah I mean, there, there's so much like when I was doing my research for both, I mean, for, for this episode and I, I blogged about this earlier this year, the, the self-publishing industry is a billion dollar industry. There okay. are like 300 million self-published books sold every year. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that number is, is contested. Like, like it could be more than that. Um, the so you were talking about like the 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 tools that they use well the the uh the thing about publishing on Amazon right like you don't have to self publish on Amazon there are actually quite a few different um platforms that are that are available for this now right it's not it's not just mm -hmm. uh the Amazon silo you could do Amazon there's there's a website called Ingram Spark that you can do. Um, there's also, you can self publish on the Barnes and Noble website now. Um, the, so there's, there's all different kinds of, uh, uh Options, opportunities yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but Amazon, you have to have a particular, um, file format. Ah, uh, yeah. And so they give you this tool. Let me, I, if I can, it's called Kindle Create, uh, basically, and you have to uh, create your ebook in that software in order for it to be able to like upload to Amazon, basically. Uh -huh. Um, and so, um, I, I, I feel like I learned a lot <laughs> <laughs> throughout that process. Yeah. Um, because I had to first of all, um, the thing that they they don't talk about so like when you are self-publishing you have to know and do everything yourself clearly yeah. right you are your own marketing team you are your own 
logistics team, you're your own editor. Well, you, you should be paying for editing, but that's a different story for a different day. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're it. Right. And so, uh, I had to create every iteration of my product. Um, I have a, a, a hard copy, right. That I created in Microsoft word mm-hmm. and exported to PDF. And then I also have the Kindle copy. And then I also have, um, a generic ebook copy. Um, but all of these copies require you to buy, um, ISBNs. So, um, each different version of your work is another ISBN that you have to, that you have to, um, purchase. Mm -hmm. So, um, and what I did is I, I bought ISBNs in bulk. I think it's like, I bought 10 of them. Um, and so I have, you know, six left, I think, because I have, I, I used four for my, for my, uh, the book that I did that I published earlier this year. Um, but that's, but like I was saying that, you know, that's something that, that I kind of had to learn on the fly. Right. Um, but the, uh, yeah. So you know, the thing about using Amazon is that as kind of, I think I think people can kind of tell from listening to this podcast that we're both kind of anti-capitalist. And <laughs> yeah. um, so so I have a lot of conflicted feelings about using Amazon in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It, it it gave me the tools that I needed to kind of get that get that book out into the universe. Right. Right. Um. I don't know. It's, it's been it like, like I said, it's, it's been kind of a, like a double-edged sword kind of deal, yeah. but, but I, um, I kind of, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and I, I've enjoyed it so far. Um, the, the experience itself of marketing my own work has been kind of interesting. Um, just like, you know, you're you're talking about all these the 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 tools that you're using to to do your blogging. Um, like I I kind of felt like like that was I, I that was like my life for several months, right? Mm-hmm. Of like I I know I need to get some marketing posts out. I know I need to to do some some editing on X Y Z. Um, and having those different platforms available to me, um, was kind of essential in, in doing all of that marketing. So, mm-hmm. um, I, of course this was pre Twitter meltdown garbage. So yeah. the, the next one will be, uh, interesting cause I am, you know, building my, my Mastodon, uh, following kind of from nothing, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, yeah, it's, I, uh, uh, on Mastodon, I used to always put if I promoted like a blog post or a podcast or something, I would put like a, a content warning that said promoting my own work. And uh, yeah. I think it's actually got more people to click on it because they were probably curious why I would do it that way. Uh, right. But now I don't really do those warnings just because I, I kind of think content warnings in general on Mastodon have sort of done more harm than good because uh, they've mm. been used as a way to try and like silence people being like, you should have put this in a content warning. Like it'd be something incredibly yeah. anodyne, like, you know, a political opinion. And, uh, that's also why I avoided all the smaller servers. I just went with the mastodon.social big server because it's the most generic and there's no, like, there's no, um, you know, many Elon Musk in charge. So, um, anyway, I've been feeling, I've been feeling a little, uh, uh yeah, uh, just kind of, um, what is the word? I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've been thinking about, I guess, moving to the main server. Yeah. I mean, you can, um, you can do it. It's, uh, as I may have mentioned on our, our episode about Mastodon, you can bring every, well, you want to back up all your data first, like your followers and, the, and, and so on, which it'll, um, it'll prompt you to do when you go through the process. But, uh, you won't be able to carry over your old posts, so that's the only sort right. of drawback. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it was a better experience for me when I moved from a smaller server. But um, 
Yeah, it's um, but as far as uh, yeah, so like I do use Mastodon to promote, you know, some of my work. I I used to do it on Twitter as well, but then you know, Twitter has a weird thing where if you put a link into a post, it it downranks it. So uh, yep. And whereas Mastodon it doesn't do that just because there's no there's no algorithmic ranking at all on Mastodon. Um, so it's been okay for that. I don't. I wouldn't say I've gotten like a huge amount of you know a groundswell of interest or anything. Um, but it's, it's better than nothing. And then of course on micro.blog, you know, you always do have the chance to be in the discover feed. So if you do a, a post that gets in there, it might get a lot more eyes on it. So, um, so it's kind of neat with micro.blog having that sort of built in social component, but sort of like a sort of handcrafted in a way, instead of like the, you know, machine, uh, automated hellscape of the, uh, you know, modern <laughs> social media slash SEO yeah. world. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think the thing that I keep coming back to about, like, you know, you, you have all these, the, the tools that you're using and I have, um, kind of the software and the, you know, uh, all the stuff I had to learn about the, the self-publishing and just right. what I'm, what I'm putting on my website, like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the thing that I that I keep coming back to is that just publishing online in general um, is a lesson in like resource management, yeah. right? So like you you have you have these resources that you're using um, and money too. Money as a resource as well. Oh yeah. Um, and like it's it depends on how you are organizing your thoughts and how you're organizing like, the way that you use these different tools. Um, and you know mileage may vary right like mm -hmm. you um you're a lot more prolific at posting than i am i wish i wish i could post more <laughs> i wish i could post more well you have I the just... novel and i have my uh, short blog yeah. post so i mean infrequent right, posting right. maybe is better for writing like a novel whereas uh you know, frequent posting <laughs> is less good for that so <laughs> yeah maybe i don't know i'm spending all of my words writing about you know fantasy and fairies and yeah, stuff and yeah. you're using your words on twitter <laughs> but <laughs> or x or whatever x, it's called now well i guess uh yeah i guess we can maybe uh well i do have one fun fact about that that i can i can sort of add here is that uh all the single letter second level domains so like um you know <laughs> Uh, you know, x.com is an example of that. X, Q, and Z are the only, are the only uh, letters that have any domains with them because uh, the um, the different you know, bodies that govern, you know, domain names and the internet uh, acquired, they, you know, reserved all of those sometime in 1993. So uh, huh. the only ones that survived are the ones that were registered before that. So uh, there's like x.com, q.net, uh, Q.com. Uh, there's like a Z.net or Z.com as well. So that's it. But if you try in the other ones like B.com or F.com, it, it's it's nothing. So, huh. um, yeah, I don't know. I wonder why they did that. I'm not sure either, but, uh, you know, uh, I don't know who originally acquired X.com. I mean, Elon Musk, I guess, had it for a long time because PayPal was actually created from a merger of uh, with uh, you know x.com which was originally a banking site of some kind which mm -hmm. um which was apparently had some problems with uh you know its security but um anyway it, it devolved into paypal and he actually wanted to call paypal x.com and uh this was part of the the impetus for him getting kicked out of the company um <laughs> because it did not test well with the uh you know focus groups so, yeah, because um, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I mean, why would it you, doesn't? It literally means nothing. Why would you think your, you know, your payment service was going to be called X dot com? You know, like what? Would, uh, so yeah, stupid. Anyway, um, so, uh, so yeah, so I think we're we're winding down here, yeah. but we um we do have an exciting uh announcement. Oh yeah, speaking of uh, actually, yeah. it's, it's a perfect segue from talking about domain <laughs> names because uh. I recently acquired the domain literally.party, which... Uh, like, literally.party. Yeah, so literally.party. If you type that into your browser right now, it will take you to the new podcast webpage, which uh, 
it is quite an improvement over the old one, in my opinion, for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, it, it's a standalone site, so it's not tucked into a tab in my Substack anymore. The uh, yeah. the Substack feed, if you were following that, has been has gotten a uh, three hundred two redirect to uh, I think it's three hundred two or three hundred one has been redirected to this new feed on Podbean. So uh, you know, if you were following it before, there should be no change because uh, you know. It knows that you're supposed to go to this feed, and it's going to go to this new one instead. Um, and it has links there for all the major podcast uh, platforms, with one exception. Google Podcasts is not on there yet, just because Google has some weird stuff with uh, how it requires an email address in the RSS feed, and I haven't yet you know, figured out how to do that. But um, but it's available on Apple, it's on Spotify, it's on Amazon Music, it's on you know, all the other ones as well. So uh, if you go there, you can actually you can listen in the browser if you, if you prefer that for some reason. Um, but you know, if, and send if, all your friends links to our site. It's yeah. literally a party. It's literally like, that party. Yeah. So uh, literally that party. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. Like like I said, it, the the party domains are, are surprisingly affordable. Uh, I guess they never quite <laughs> got a lot of traction, you know. But um, it actually, is a mastodon dot party. That's one of the instances on mastodon. But nice. um, yeah. So if, if you go there and check it out, it also has a. A link there um, to maybe well it, it describes both of our websites and then there's also a link at the bottom of the page to my Mastodon page. So yep, yeah. and we'll have like show notes there and things too, right? That's kind of the yep. description. Yeah, all of the, the things will and... will be like you know each episode will get a description and it will have you know any links and and observations that we wanted to put in the show notes will be available on there and then they'll. They'll also populate into uh, into the client, so like an Apple Podcast, it'll still still show up there, you know, as the same as it always has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's exciting. Yeah. So, so it's, uh... and and uh, I just I just per on a personal note, um, I am just really excited uh, that we're still doing this show and that <laughs> we're we're having a literal party over here. Yeah. And I just I want to thank everybody for listening. I know that um I know that we. Uh, like to ramble on about kind of some esoteric things sometimes, yeah. Um, yeah. but I'm I'm just happy that folks are listening and finding it valuable. Yeah, so. I've gotten a few listeners from Mastodon, so it's been pretty cool. But uh, yeah, it, it's yeah. it's nice that we've uh, we've stuck with it, and uh, yeah, look forward to doing more of these. So uh, yeah, so but, thank you. Yeah. Well, um, right. as always, you can uh, well you can go to literally dot party to see all the episodes, or you can of course view them in your podcast client of choice and uh my website is uh content hyphen lab dot agency which is that's my micro dot blog custom domain and then i uh then your site is liz makes stuff dot com yep. and yeah so and oh buy my book Oh, yeah, I, I can't believe we talked this whole time and I, I was going to do this whole thing about how it's not actually an ad. Please <laughs> don't worry. This yeah, isn't an yeah. ad for my book, but buy my book. It's a good book, I think. Yeah, it's uh, so. <laughs> we could have done something really uh, elaborate here. Where we had like a, a parody of like a Squarespace ad read, but instead oh. it was like for your book or something. <laughs> You know, oh, or, well, that'll that'll be the next one. Yeah. That'll be for the next so one. We could do a whole episode <laughs> of like uh, Squarespace and was it stamps.com, all the quintessential like uh, all the podcasts, podcasts, uh, uh, ad- advertisements, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello Fresh, whatever. Hello Fresh. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, yes. Anyway. All, all right. right. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Talk right. to you later. All right. Bye.